and oh before so this is something i always fuck up and uh it's i don't know why i've been doing this a bunch of times with different developers and i always forget to ask how their name is pronounced beforehand so do you want think okay thomas brush yeah okay do you prefer tom do you want thomas thomas is good Thomas. Okay. I always do this. And like the last person I did was someone with a a Russian name and I just like butchered it like real bad. Oh man, dude. I I do that too. Um, when I'm like doing emails, sometimes I'll read emails on my YouTube channel and, and, uh, I just, I just don't even try. I sometimes don't even say the name, so I get it. It's all good. All right, let's get started. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Now, today we have Thomas Brush with us, the main creator behind both Pinstripe and, most recently, Neversong. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join me. Yeah. So, before we dive into Neversong, I always ask this of all the different developers or creators or any of the minds in the industry space. How did you get into game development in the first place? Um, So, I started making games when I was... Um, I was probably a sophomore in high school. Um, and so I was making games with a program called Flash. It was at the time it was called Flash MX. And it's weird because when I say when I say Flash, I assume everybody knows what I'm talking about, but then I realized that I guess Gen Z, I don't even know if they know what Flash like really was and what it meant. Yeah. And I don't even a, think Flash is a thing now, right? Now it's like no, a, no, Adobe it's like, Animate or something. Oh yeah, it's basically illegal. Like <laughs> it is it is so hard to get something to run with Flash. But I was 16 and I I I was kind of probably a lot like a lot of your listeners. Um I just kind of I just assume this is true because a lot of game developers and people interested in games struggle to build uh, relationships and communities in high school. Um, I guess most high schoolers in general feel that horrible feeling. And so for me, (laughs) instead of, instead of building these solid relationships with friends, I would just go home and build a relationship with my computer and make games, you know? And so I would make these stupid flash games and put them on newgrounds.com. Uh, so love newgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's sad that it's kind of a, a little bit of, kind of feels like a graveyard yeah. at this point um but that makes sense you know it's just things change but yeah that's where i got started making games very nice uh so what are what are your not like notable newgrounds games that you've created um i made two really terrible games one of them was a complete <laughs> ripoff called flash geometry wars i don't know if you ever played the like, yeah the yeah <laughs> and for like when you're when when you're 16 years old and you're an idiot like me you think oh i'm just gonna copy a game and then i'm gonna sell it <laughs> and i'm not gonna get in trouble so i did right. that and that was that was kind of cool because it was fun i remember i went over to my friend's house like three months after i had launched and i had forgotten about the game and i got on his computer and i googled flash mm-hmm. and because i was looking up something for flash and the first suggestion was flash geometry wars and wow. i was like that is so cool like <laughs> google google knows my game nice and that was the first real feeling of knowing Oh my goodness! Like you can, you can kind of build a reputation right, online right. by just releasing junky games. So that that, that wasn't my first like huge success. Um, I think my biggest one was a game called Coma, mm-hmm. and that game was my first real release, and it was like an adventure game. And it's actually what Never Song is based on. Yeah. Um, 
And so that game was the biggest one. And I released that one when I was 18 and a senior in high school. And that was my first game where I made money, um, which is, was a really cool feeling. And, uh, yeah, that was the first big one. Hmm. Interesting. How did you, so you actually sold that on Newgrounds, or was that in a different area? How did that work? Uh, so the way they, the way that you make money in the games industry is you just look everywhere and you learn to have like a scent for where the money is because Mm -hmm. so many game developers out there are like starving for cash. And so you just learn, I call it like the scent, you know, that feeling when you, um, like are about to sneeze, that's, that's the sense that a lot of indie game developers get, uh, when they're in the industry for so long, you can, you get this itch like in your soul, like there's, there's cash somewhere in a certain section of the industry and I'm going to pursue that. And I, I know that this is, I'm about to sneeze. Like I'm about to sneeze cash. I know that's a really weird metaphor, but I I use it all the time because it's, it's the only thing that makes sense to me. So with, with coma, there was this sense like, Oh my goodness, there's, there's money in this and where it was, where it came from was weird places. So like you'd get ad revenue, obviously, Mm -hmm. but you'd also submit your game to like festivals and they would give you, you could win like $5,000 in cash or $10,000 in cash. And then there were publishing agreements. So publishers would reach out and they would snatch up your game. Now huh. I was 18 years old at the time and I didn't know anything about the legality of this. So I would right. just, I did get a lawyer. My dad sort of forced me to get a lawyer and thank you, dad. That's smart. That. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there was money in that as well. Um, but so like there was just money in all these different places that I had no idea. And it, it, usually when game developers think about how to make money with games, they think, oh, I'm just going to sell copies of my game. Right. And that's true. That's a traditional way to do it. And that's probably how people like Edmund McMillan and Jonathan Blow made money during like the indie game bubble. Mm-hmm. But now it's different. And it's different for it's different in a lot of different ways for so many different game developers. Like for me, I have my finger in a lot of different pies. Um, whereas some game developers, they just, they have one hit and they, they sort of live on that for a decade, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. That's quite a, quite a different way to look at it and a very articulated way. So it seems like, you know what you're talking about. (laughs) I I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you fake it till you make it, right? Yeah, that's exactly true. That's, that's kind of my, my big thing. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's very cool um so let's dive into Neversong. so you have a, a a bunch of games behind your belt which you kind of alluded to but i think the main thing that i want to talk about today is this delightful project that i've i've watched for a while now but for those listening that don't know can you describe what exactly Neversong is all about uh no oh all right well damn <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding it's it's kind of a running joke with me and my wife where there's a what's the word it's like a phrase that we talk me and my wife talk about all the time it's basically abstraction makes you look like a genius so if you if and i guess i shouldn't disclose this but the the story is really abstract and yes, it makes yes. it's it's super abstract it's very poetic and it makes it feel like the game is much more uh much more exciting and much more deep than it actually is. Now that's half of my brain is saying that, but the other half of my brain is, is thinking, well, maybe it is more spiritual than I think it is. Um, <laughs> because sometimes I'll, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to put together a game idea and I'm going to write out the story and it doesn't make any sense at all. And then I release the game and then in the comments, everybody's like, oh no, this is what it's about. And there's a cohesive theme that everyone's finding 
that I didn't right. even really recognize myself. And that, I know that sounds pretentious and maybe egotistical, but for me, what I've learned from the comments of Never Song, like there, there's like a there's a, a general story and a general theme that I I put together, but there's so much more that I find in the comments. So <laughs> what the game what the game is about. Um, is really for the audience to, to decide. But at the core of it, it's a game about a boy who wakes up from a coma and he finds that his entire, all of the adults in his small little town, they're missing. And the town is sort of being run by, it's kind of like, a um, what's the Lord of the Flies, that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all of the kids are in charge of this town and it's just turning into chaos. And so there's a big uh, sort of underlying story. It's, it it kind of reminds me of um, the Lost television series where there's okay. a big mysterious underlying story and you have to sort of explore this beautiful sort of haunting world um, and discover what's really going on. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I really like the way you described it too because... With Neversong, it is very open to interpretation, especially at the end when you find out kind of, you know, the closing remarks of the game. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy that because there's a lot of times, and I looked through the comments as well in, in a number of videos after I had completed the game to see, okay, like, well, I have an, an interpretation of what this means, but what is the actual reason? And you don't find anything that's a concise, like, this is what it is. You find a bunch of people who are giving their opinion, and it kind of yeah. builds to that story of, you know, it makes sense that you as the creator should never really give that information, whether you have the idea of this is what it, you know, def definitely is versus what it could be, because that almost builds to the story itself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you see this a lot. Like if you if you ever watch um dude, it's it goes from all the way from movies and all mm -hmm. the way to like religion. So if you look at all of the big stories in human history that really like stood firmly um and stood the test of time, like okay, so one of the biggest religions in the world is Christianity. And there is like if you ever read Revelations or like read some some of the, like the the parables that Jesus told. They're extremely abstract mm -hmm. and purposefully done so. And the same is true with like Stanley Kubrick. Um, if you watch his films, they're and um, who who else do I really love? The guy who made Twin Peaks um, and Eraserhead. Why can't I remember his name? Let me let me Google it really quick. <laughs> okay. The creator of Eraserhead is. David Lynch. Okay, so if you look at like David Lynch or, or Stanley Kubrick, all the way to like the parables of Jesus Christ, they're all very abstract and very confusing. And that's not to say that they're, they're, there's nothing there and they don't mm -hmm. mean anything. Mm -hmm. It's that the, the speaker, the teller of the story is purposefully being abstract because he wants to force the audience to think and to sort of go through a maze of ideas. And they, they weren't even told by the director or the teller. They're not even being, you're not like, it's not like they're saying you should think about these five concepts, right? Um, like, like death and life and forgiveness and all of these various concepts. They're not telling you to think of those things. They say like one sentence or that one visual and it's, it, it literally um, sparks all of these ideas in the listener's head. And it's just a beautiful, it's, that's kind of what poetry is. And that's, that is, if you do it right, um, it's probably one of the most effective ways of telling someone what you believe and so that's kind of what i'm attempting to do with never song if that makes sense i'm not sure if any of that made sense but. <laughs> no it definitely makes sense i also like the fact that 
you know, giving the audience that opportunity to talk and to think about it really uh, it expands the the longevity of the game itself because it's not just a here's a story and then you're done with it. It's something that people can come back to. It's something that every time a person plays, a new person to this ecosystem can add something to the conversation because right. each person has a different perspective on what this might be. Right. And it's also like from a marketing perspective or a business perspective, um, telling stories in an abstract way is actually a really good way to, to continue to maintain players and customers. Mm -hmm. So for example, like Facebook and Twitter, the way that they keep you, um, going back to the platform over and over and over again is you're personally invested. You've uploaded photos, you've tweeted out stuff, you've made friends. So you've, you've put time and energy into this platform. So if a competitor comes up and tries to like, like, like a Twitter competitor or a Facebook mm -hmm, competitor mm -hmm. tries to get, maintain, gain and maintain customers, they're going to have a really hard time doing it. And I think the same, because there's, there's customers that are invested. They've just put so much blood, sweat and tears into this platform and obsession into this platform. And so I think the same is true when you, when you put out a abstract story in a video game or in a movie, because you, you really, really the, the story is 80% what the audience feels and what they've invested in thought and 20% what you've actually said on screen. Does that make right. sense? I'm not sure if that makes sense. But. <laughs> yeah, no, that does make sense. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I, I really like your perspective on it. Um, one of the things that I did want to ask, though, so, you know, you, you created this immaculate story. Uh, you've gone from originally, or at least right before this, Pinstripe, which was a, a very good success. Um, and you then decided, okay, I want to take a step into a new direction, but not at the same time. You then instead go, all right, let's recreate or reimagine that new grand, uh, Newgrounds animation, or not animation, but Flash creation. Yep. What, what exactly sparked that? Why after the success of Pinstripe, did you say, okay, you know what we need to do? We need to recreate Coma and kind of rework that. Um, so a lot of indie developers are super principled. They think that they shouldn't be thinking about money. They should be thinking about, you know, speaking from their heart and doing the next thing, whatever their next project is, is it's something directly from the heart. And I've heard, I've heard this so many times that they sh you shouldn't be thinking about money. You should be thinking about uh, what you're trying to tell. And I think that's a beautiful concept, but the older that I get, the more that I realize that, especially when I, like I have uh, a daughter and then a son on the way, I have a wife, I have a mortgage, I have two dogs. Well, congrats. But yeah, that does sound like a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot to balance. So money starts to creep in like fear. And uh, am I going to be able to pay the bills? Is everything going to be okay? Mm -hmm. Well, when Pinstripe mm -hmm. launched, I had, you know, I won't disclose too much because there's a lot of like conversations with publishers that I can't discuss, but of course, you know, it, it P pinstripe launched and it didn't make as much as I wanted it to. Um, and that I needed honestly. Mm -hmm. So at, at the time things are good now. Like it, it was weird. It had a long tail. Um, mm -hmm. but when it first launched, I was worried it wasn't going to do well. And, um, just from the initial figures. So I, I literally called a friend of mine who, who owns a publishing company called Serenity Forge. And we just talked and he was like, why don't we make a really quick game? Um, and, you know, it's funny looking back because it wasn't a quick game. But he said, <laughs> I really like that coma game you made. Um, I'll pay you X amount of dollars um, to partner with us and we can make it together. And so the, 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 I guess the, the, 
the short of it is money. Money was the reason why I wanted to do it. And I don't feel bad saying that at all because when you're an indie developer, you've got to figure out a way to keep going and keep maintain, maintaining your studio, especially when you have a family. Yeah. So the money sure. was enticing and I was like, okay, I'll just make this really quick. Well, that's like your famous last words because it, it's never quick. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great decision. I'm like super glad that I made that decision. At the time I thought, oh man, am I just making a decision based on money? And then that relationship with Serenity Forge was incredibly, incredibly valuable. Like, honestly, there's so many things that I can't discuss um, because so many good things happened. So mm -hmm. many amazing things happened because of that one phone call. Um, we, we, we did a Kickstarter campaign that, that raised $86,000. We created this beautiful story that Steam loves it's got a nine out of ten on steam and yep. i don't feel like i'm bragging because half of the game was created by serenity forge and i'm just really proud of what they've done and then on top of all of that the giant beautiful cherry on top is apple partnered with us right at the end there and we mm -hmm. released with apple arcade and that was incredible yeah it all just seemed to to work out uh one yeah. thing after another <laughs> yeah and it was motivated by by something that most people say is a bad motivation which is just money but that's what right. I did, you know, and but we still made something pure out of it, even if the motivation was shallow. Yeah. And I think even though most people will think of it as, you know, like you said, shallow, I think it's almost a refreshing response because I think there's this notion that what you're doing in life should always be essentially something that you enjoy, obviously, because right. what's the point? But at the same time, there is that, you know, ends that you have to to live up to like how yeah. am i going to pay these bills and i think a lot of people have a problem with humanizing the video game industry and thinking yeah. about the actual people behind it and especially in the indie games space one of the things why the whole reason why i always ask at the start of all these interviews is let's not talk about the game let's talk about you is because yeah. I want people to understand that these games aren't just magically appearing. These are coming from people. These are coming from minds, yeah. and there's reasons behind it. And it is a refreshing right. you know, notion to just say, like, well, it's because I needed money. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I appreciate you hear, hearing you say that it's refreshing. I've had multiple people say that, um, that they're kind of relieved that they don't have to be such a purist. Mm -hmm. And, dude, what I'm learning especially in 2020 is I guess, I guess 20 probably started in probably 2010 all the way up till now is social media. What it did is it sort of solidified and froze this mentality that you're either this or you're that mm -hmm. and there's no, there's no nuance. And so you're either a pure game developer and all you do is work from the heart or you're just a greedy money hungry capitalist. <laughs> and it, I don't see why we can't, be somewhere in the middle. Like I want to tell my personal story, but I also want to tell people, yeah, but I run a business as well right. and I have to be profitable and I want to make money for my family. And so there's, there's nuance in the indie game career that I think was purposefully ignored because, and the reason I talk about social media is social media is all about generating clicks and ad revenue for these companies. And so they're going to put the, like all of these, all of these uh, news outlets for the gaming industry, they're going to be putting out sensational headlines about game developers and their games instead of a more milk toast watered down truer story they're going to mm -hmm. put out these very polarized stories and i'm trying to sort of honestly water it down because that's the truth which is i'm a i'm a, I'm a very I, I love telling my story i love to, speaking from the heart but i also 
I also am a businessman and there, right. there's just two sides to every story, you know? Yeah. It's an unfortunate decision that you have to make to get by. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that is a shame, but let's let's uh, jump off that topic, but keep it a little bit uh, still on the gloomy side. So let's talk about this uh, creepy undertone throughout the game. One of my favorite things about this game is just how, um, y- you know, it's hard to be scary, I think, in a lot of ways, especially when you're doing something that's a cartoon in this kind of style. It's very yeah. cartoony, but the way that the world and the creatures in it are depicted is just so fascinating and so uh, grotesque and disturbing at times. What exactly was your inspiration that you pulled from creating all these environments and creating the designs for those enemies? Yeah. Uh, from a, okay, so I'll, I can do a more general um, discussion about where the inspiration comes from, but there's a deeper sort of a, a much deeper reason. Mm-hmm. So uh, the haunting side of it is what's this? There's a Edward Gorey, I think is his name. Um, let me Edward. Gorey. I'm going to Google it really quick. <laughs> 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 yeah. Edward Gorey. I, I got a ton of inspiration from, from him and his illustrations. He does a lot of really like, it's so funny. You look at it and you're like, Oh, it's a children's book. Uh-huh. But then you look closer and it's, his illustrations are so creepy at the same time Mm -hmm. and the the same is true for like the scary stories uh scary stories illustrations i don't know if you remember those but they pulled these illustrations um out of schools like the scary stories books they were originally in our my middle school Hmm. and i don't know why they were because these illustrations are terrifying um (laughs) but the artist's name is let me google that the artist's name is Stephen uh gamel and uh-huh. if you if your audience looks at these illustrations, they're just absolutely terrifying. And Del Toro did a movie on scary stories last year, um, and it, he just he he made these illustrations look exactly how they're supposed to look, but he made them come to life in a live action film. And so all of my sort of creepy inspiration comes from those kinds of artists where things are kind of childish. Mm-hmm. but also terrifying at the same time. Right. And that sort of uh, dichotomy of dark and beautiful at the same time, that's, I guess that's, man, it's going to sound pretentious, but that's kind of how my, <laughs> that's kind of how my brain works. It's, uh, I, I view the world through a lens of this place is horrible and terrifying and dark, but it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think those are my favorite stories like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, where it's like, there's so much darkness and so much evil, but there's so much redemption in it. And, you know, I, I'm a Christian, so I grew up in the Bible belt. And if any, I'm I'm sure like half of your uh, listeners grew up in that environment of, of going to church and, and hearing these super dark stories, but also hearing about this side of redemption like and they're they're smacked right next to each other. So this black and this white um, themes are like right next to each other. And so my head has sort of, you know, it was raised to be in that realm of dark mm-hmm. and light all the time, and trying to figure out how they work together. And you know, I still don't know how evil and good work together. Like it doesn't make any sense, right? And that our world works that way, but it does. And so I, I love putting that dichotomy in my work and i think most like most stories that have that dichotomy are the ones that are successful and that that stand the test of time 
Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a very interesting point. You have a, a, a way with words, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's because I've had two cups of coffee. Oh, you're um, raring to go. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So now that Neversong has been out for about a month or so, uh, almost two months, what's next for you? Can we expect something like a, a sequel or additional content to be added? What does it look like for you? And uh, I guess if you're sta- sticking with that publishing company for the team. Yeah, um, there's a couple ideas. So for the past decade, I've been making similar styled games, uh, moody, emo type creepy stories. And I think <laughs> right. I think that's like my, my bread and butter and my forte. Like, I love that. But I think what I want to start doing is there's a really big demand on my YouTube channel uh, from my subscribers to learn how to do what I do and, and not only like make games, but also um, know how to sell them. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, that's actually the biggest, um, I think the biggest hurdle is not that people don't understand the technical side of making games. There's like a million tutorials on YouTube. You can figure out how to make games. Right. The question is how do you finish a game and how do you market it and how do you sell it? Because a lot of these, um, individuals who want to learn how to make games a lot of them they really want to go full time and so i'm starting a a, just really quickly probably over the course of the next five months um, i'm making an online game dev course called full-time game dev and it's really going to focus on the coaching aspect of making games i want to coach people and teach them how to finish projects i think the biggest problem the biggest problem with i guess millennials and gen z is we're so distracted we are so distracted and I want to tell people and coach people on how to finish something, like finish something in your life. Because if you don't, if you if you don't start finishing things, um, you're, it's going to become an addiction to not finish things, right. and instead just hop on Twitter and Instagram and get that rush of endorphins, um, <laughs> or what is it? I think it's dopamine. Yeah, you get yeah. a rush of dopamine. You go on mm-hmm. Instagram and you look at other people making games, but you're not willing to do it yourself. And so right. my big thing is I want to I want to coach people. So that's what I'm going to be doing for the next five months. I'm also going to be pitching a few ideas to Serenity Forge for smaller games because I, I think I want to make some smaller games, mm. um, which it's that's probably not what my audience wants me to do. They probably want me to make another <laughs> moody story driven game. Right. But I'm exhausted. So <laughs> I need a little bit of a break, you know, I think that makes sense. That's yeah. really awesome, though. I, I totally agree with the whole not being able to, to, to finish things. I know that I have that problem in a lot of ways. One of the ways that I get over that is specifically doing things like your courses, or I I try every year, at least once a year to sign up to some kind of, whether it's some kind of certification or some kind of course, because me personally, I know I'm not going to do it on my own. And I need that, that structure of someone saying, here's the lesson plan. Like, here's the things you need to do, the steps you need to take. And like, then it's, it's easy because then I'm super motivated. I know I have a deadline. I always try to go, you know, and make sure I hit that. But like, without that, that push, it can be very difficult to know what's the next step and to easily go into that, that funk of just, well, I'm just going to do what feels comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, part of the reason why I preach about following through is because I'm, I learned to preach to myself. Um, like I have a big folder, like on my computer, like I think of six different projects that I've started and haven't finished. And 
you know, if you look at my like nightstand next to my bed, there's like, I think 20 different books and I've only read like three chapters in each one, but they make me look smart. Right. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but I haven't finished any of them. And, and I think that it's, it's just funny to me how one of the, one of the biggest things I hear from, yeah, I sound, I know I sound like a boomer, but I'm com- <laughs> complaining about millennials and Gen Z. But one of the biggest problems with millennial millennials and Gen Z is this. It, sometimes it feels like there's a lot of complaining, and 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 it comes back to social media, which is if you complain on social media, you get rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. And complaining is one of the primary reasons why there's no follow through, and myself included. And so something my wife, my wife is anti-complaining. She, she's, she's like very, very quick to go, Hey Thomas, you're complaining. You can like, whatever it is, if I'm complaining Mm -hmm. about work or I'm complaining about my family or or whatever, she's like, stop complaining and just grow a thick skin and work hard and get it done. And I really appreciate that because even though it's difficult, even though it's difficult to hear somebody say, you're, you're being a baby, like finish your game. Be a, you're being a baby, finish your game, finish your project, finish something. Even though that that's like, don't talk to me like that. Even though it's frustrating. Right. If you take it in and go, okay, maybe I am being a baby. Maybe it's not that hard. And then you, you follow through and finish it. You look back and go, I was a baby. Like I should have, I should have, <laughs> I should have been tougher. And so toughness and fortitude is something that I'm, I'm really into right now. Hmm. Um, I love the idea of becoming somebody who can bear other people's burdens in addition to my own. And I think that game developers who finish games, they learn how to build those, those strong shoulders to not only support their own dreams, but to support the dreams of you know, their family, their spouse, their kids, their friends, their community. Right. And that is so that is what follow through is all about for me. It's not about following through that so that you can get become a millionaire as a game developer and buy a yacht. It's about following through and showing other people, hey, I can help you follow through too. That's my big thing. And I think that that is especially important for our current generation and the next generation is to teach to teach each other and to hold each other accountable. Um, we live we live, you know, there's a lot of bad things that are happening in 2020 but we still live in a very prosperous time. And so mm-hmm. I believe there's not a lot of excuses. There's not a lot of excuses. And I know that this might be inflammatory, but I don't think there's a lot of excuses <laughs> for our current generation and the next one not to be able to do amazing things because there are so many opportunities out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a very interesting way to look at it. I know that there's probably going to people who are probably going to be people who argue against that but i think it's important that everyone has their own opinions and their own ways to deal with you know the hardships that come their way hey and that's the thing there's there's it's not black and white there's a lot of gray you know Mm -hmm. and so if 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 someone like me comes in and and you know shakes you and says get with it do do great things follow through be be tough that's great people like me need to be there but there's also people who need to be there to listen and mm-hmm. to hold your hand and to, and to maybe hear complaints, you know? Right. And I think there's, there's two sides, especially in the indie game industry. There's, there's people who need to, to, I guess, understand the, cause a lot of indie game developers that you, if you go, go on any indie game development, like uh discord server or mm-hmm. read the mm-hmm. comments and YouTube videos, 
indie game developers really struggle. They really struggle with like anxiety and depression. I don't know why that is. And I myself struggle through those. Mm-hmm. There's, there's both one side of the coin, which is I want to be heard and I want people to understand where I'm coming from and I myself included, but there's also another side to the, to the coin, which is sometimes you need, you need to toughen up and, and finish your project and, and stop complaining. So it's, it's a, it's a very gray, um, nuanced discussion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that fits in very well with uh never song itself as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the way my brain works. I, th- I think, you know, <laughs> All good. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. I definitely want to respect that you've got a busy schedule and you've got things to do. But I do yeah. have one last question. I ask this of every uh, every person that goes through this interview, especially um, because I, I recently saw something on Twitter the other day that someone had, had tagged you for an article that you had written. And it was you mentioning work that you had done on Pinstripe. And that, yeah. you know, Pinstripe took, uh, I believe it was five years, which is a good length of development time. And in there, you had said that although it was fun, there was a lot of time that was wasted due to a lack of planning. Now, yeah. for those aspiring to be game developers, can you elaborate a little bit on that? And maybe just in general, you know, what lessons you've taken from uh, from Pinstripe, from Neversong, and just advice in general? And obviously, you can be a little bit vague because I know you don't want to give all your, your secrets away since you do have a course. <laughs> um, but no, maybe just a little general advice. Yeah, so if you're the kind of person who, when you're mowing the grass, I don't know, maybe some of your audience hasn't ever mowed a lawn before. But <laughs> <laughs> when I mow the grass, I, I used to run because I wanted to get it done quick. Yep. And then I would finish it, and then I would look out on the yard, and especially when my, I was doing my dad's lawn when I was a teenager, we'd look out, and he'd be like, what did you do? <laughs> like, it's a mess. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I got it done, though. Like, and so, But he would go, okay, well, I need you to go over it again. Right. And so it would double the time it took because I wanted it to go quick. And that's, that is probably my biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so... I am somebody who rushes things and I don't do the research. I don't plan it because I'm looking for that sensation of, of, of um, making progress. And so I think what I've read this definition, I don't know where it's from, but a definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who wants to make progress mm-hmm. and they're obsessed with, they're obsessed with making progress, whatever that means. And so for <laughs> me, for me, progress you don't get the sensation of progress when you research and study and read and plan. Um, and you, what, what I think a lot of creatives need to do, especially creative people in your audience, they need to learn to sense progress while they're reading and while they're studying and planning. That is actually the mo- the, the best way to make progress. And that is just plan. It's uh, my dad used to tell me because um, he he was a he worked in construction for a while and my mm-hmm. grandfather owned a construction company, so they were they were building their own worlds just like me in a different way, mm-hmm. and one of their one of their common um, sentences was uh, measure twice, cut once, and instead of cutting twice or three times or four times and wasting materials, we should really be measuring twice or three times or four times, right. and that means planning and researching. So I, I, whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, writing a paper for school or studying or um, 
you know, learning how to play an instrument, whatever it is, or make a game. You need to measure twice, measure three times, four times, 20 times before you decide to commit and make that cut. But it's again, it's a nuanced discussion. It's a very gray discussion because on one end you need to study and you need to plan. But on the other end, you got to get, you got to get stuff done. Just get it done. You know, (laughs) it's tough. It could be a tough uh, act to balance. Yeah, man. All right. Well, for those listening, Neversong is currently available on Apple Arcade and Steam. Once again, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on today. Best of luck to you. Is there anything you want to give a shout out to or to promote while we have you on here? Nope. Just your podcast. (laughs) Your podcast. Oh, thanks. Subscribe. (laughs) Subscribe. Leave a comment. Rate it. This was good. <laughs> Thanks, man. It was it was a lot of fun having you on. I think this yeah. was a really interesting discussion. Uh, I wish you the best of luck on your course. Um, we'll definitely promote it in the show notes. So if you're Sweet. interested, uh, there will be a link there. Uh, once again, thanks. Thanks, man.